0: Thinking about a lot of the different TV episodes, they have a previously on such and such. You know, I thought previously on encouraging evidence. Last week we talked about Exhibit A, which was the empty tomb. I thought I'd do just a quick review on that, and then we'll look at uh, kind of the next body of evidence we want to talk about here. But um, last week, basically, we, we uh, came to the conclusion that the evidence of the empty tomb was kind of the most, the most reasonable explanation for that was that, um, that Jesus died like the Old Testament foretold, like He said He would do, uh, and that He rose from the grave, again, like He had predicted and like the prophets had predicted. And that um, even angels reaffirmed that truth that morning. And then nobody was able to produce any evidence to refute the claims that Jesus had risen from the grave. They could not produce a body. And so... Um, you know, the the thought that maybe he didn't really die and he escaped the tomb, we kind of talked about how that's not the most reasonable explanation, or how um, they got the wrong tomb, or a number of these different things, but, um, you know, um, and the evidence really kind of pointed to that the most reasonable explanation was that Jesus did what he said he was going to do, and... And that was enough even for John. We looked at John chapter 20, and John said he saw the empty tomb, he saw where his body lay in the linens, and he said he saw and he believed. That was enough for the Apostle John to believe. He didn't have an encounter with Jesus, he didn't have anything else, but it was enough that he said, you know, now I believe. But the good news is, is that Jesus gave those disciples, and he gave us a ton more things to help us believe. And we're going to just look at one facet this morning, Which is the appearances that he gave to many people after he rose from the grave. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to look at some verses related to the appearances. I'm going to share with you kind of uh, some of the most encouraging things to me, but then we're going to look at three appearances specifically from John chapter 20. Just try to pull out some lessons from those. Uh, I think last week we talked a lot about the facts and a lot about the intellectual arguments for or against an empty tomb. And this week we're going to talk some facts, and then we want to get to some things that might actually apply to your life and my life today. Kind of hit more on the heart of some of these lessons about the appearances. So let's pray again, and we'll jump into that. Well, Lord Jesus, we do just thank You. Thank You that You died for our sins, as the Scriptures foretold. We thank You that You were buried and that You rose again, again as You foretold and the prophets foretold. We thank You that not only did You rise... And uh, disappear or go into hiding, but you rose and you appeared to many. And they recorded those interactions with you and it changed their lives. It began the church that we are now a part of, your your body. And Lord, I just pray this morning you would encourage us with some of the words. We're going to look at some of the verses. pray you'd encourage us through your spirit. Lord, you know where we're at in each one of our lives. What fears we face, what discouragements before us, what purpose we need to be reminded of. And God, I just pray you'd meet us here this morning, redeem our few minutes left together here, and we pray for all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. One of the verses I want to start with here is just in in the book of Acts. And Acts starts off, as we we talked about last week, uh, Luke recorded the book of Acts. Luke writes in great detail. Um, He was... He was a doctor by, uh, by trade, but he was more of a historian if you look at how he writes and what he records. But Luke says this um, in the beginning of the book of Acts. I'm going to read a couple of verses before the one showing on the screen. But he says In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. You know, a couple things just to highlight on this that I I really like is I love that phrase there that He gave them many convincing proofs. Many convincing proofs. Sometimes you and I get told as Christians, to become a Christian requires a blind leap of faith. And I don't know about you, but I try to be patient with people who say that. But um, it, it just tells me if someone says it's a blind leap of faith, I just I think they don't know. They don't know what I know. They don't know what Luke knew. They don't know what John knew or Peter knew. And, um, I love how he just says here, He gave them many convincing proofs. There's no blind leap of faith that we are a part of, guys. We're a part of many convincing proofs. The one we're going to talk about this morning, Exhibit B, you might call it, is... The appearances. And uh, again, I'm just going to highlight some of my favorite facets of, of this body of evidence, the appearances here. Um, another verse says this, is that uh, Peter was speaking, he was preaching here, and he was just saying, God, he said they, they killed Jesus by hanging Him on a cross, and and God raised Him to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. We're witnesses of the fact that this happened. And the central theme of the message was that, that they preached in Acts. You know, they could have preached, hey, by the way, we, we woke, woke up that Easter morning that Sunday and the body was missing and the tomb was empty and, and the good news is we're forgiven and things like that. But the, the heart of their message that they preached was, he's alive, he appeared to us. And Peter said, and we, we've, we saw him. We saw him die. We've seen him alive. The heart of their message was not just, hey, the guys, there's an empty tomb and we're pretty sure he made it to heaven, and, and so are we. He didn't, he didn't leave us with that. He said, he appeared. He appeared, and we're witnesses to tell you what happened here. And that was the central theme. And this, um, the idea that they were witnesses, and they said, we witnessed this, it's mentioned at least, I've got about seven times here in the book of Acts, where they said, you killed the author of life, chapter 3 of Acts. And God raised him to the dead, and we're witnesses of this. Chapter 5, we are witnesses of these things. Again, chapter 10, we are witnesses of everything that he did. And chapter 13, uh, even Paul speaks of the witnesses who were there. And, and again and again, the central theme is, we've seen him alive. He died, and we have seen him alive. And, and they were convinced, but this was, it's really important. It was the central theme of their message. Another one that I like here is this verse, uh, Acts ten forty one, But it says here, he was not seen by all the people but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us, Peter is saying, by us who ate with him and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Now, a couple things I'd just like to highlight about this verse, but... Um, well, let's give him one. of. Two. He was witnessed by those who knew him. Sometimes people ask the question, skeptics will say, doesn't it seem a little fishy that all the witnesses were followers of Jesus? I mean, uh, come on, couldn't they have just... Uh, made this up, or wouldn't they want this to be the case? But I think, you know, some people go, like, oh, geez, you're right. I guess I better back off and be timid in my faith. But what's the alternative? Jesus was witnessed by people who never met him before? People who had no clue who he was? Is that who he's going to show himself to? Of course not. That doesn't make sense. He showed himself to those who knew him, those who knew what he was like when he lived. And before he died, and what he's like afterwards, and it was those who could best identify, this is him, and he's alive, and and so sometimes I I just want to encourage you: don't be afraid of someone saying, "Well, yeah, that seems a little suspect to me." There's no one better to have identified Jesus as alive was the one that knew him, those who knew him before he died, and this it says this several times. Um, you know, this is that's actual I would say a credibility to what we've got here. We're going to look at this um, next passage here. Uh, Again, the importance of the appearances here. That this is, um, you know, the idea that he appeared is so important that Paul, when rehashing, he's like, I preached the gospel to you. I want you to stand in that, but let me remind you again what the gospel is. And he goes on to tell them the gospel that he preached to them. You know, he says, I want to remind you a couple verses before this. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved if you hold on firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. And then he goes on to say this. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. I think sometimes most of us, our gospel stops there. He died, he was buried, he rose again. But Paul said, hey, look, I'm reminding you of the gospel. He died, he was buried, he rose again, and he goes on. And that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more, more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. You know, um, this was a part of the Gospel. He, he died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. And He appeared. He appeared. You know, if He, he could have, I guess, left the story just... He, he died. He rose. Nobody knows where He went. We all assume He went to heaven. But He didn't finish the good news there. He appeared to... You know, if you were in a court of law, you say, I'll call my next witness to the stand here. My next witness to the stand... This list that Paul gives right here includes over 500 people that you could call to the stand who saw Jesus alive again. Uh, I was reading one, one guy who was a, a theologian and formerly a lawyer, and he said, I've convicted more people in a court of law with, uh, with, with, uh, without any reasonable doubt. I've convicted more people than the evidence that these guys have to prove their case right now. How many cases could you call 500 witnesses to the stand and say... Did you see him alive? Did you know, was it really him? This is, and it's a part of the Gospel here, but um, a couple of other facets of this, I think, again, it was many witnesses. You know, sometimes I've wondered the question, well, how do we know that our faith is not any different than the Mormons? Joseph Smith, he saw this angel, he got this revelation. Well, one of the ways our faith is different than just Joseph Smith hearing something is that ours wasn't just one person. It was, it was Paul Paul's writing this down. If it was only Paul, then we can kind of go, well, was Paul off his rocker? Was Paul smoking something? You know, what was up with Paul here? But Paul has an entire list of people who were also witnesses. And he was the last one in the list. If he had been the only one, i go, yeah, I guess you're right. It's kind of like Joseph Smith. But it's not. There are 500 to 600 witnesses of this. And Paul is just repeating what others have already been preaching. And so... Uh, it's not like that, and that's encouraging. I'm encouraged by that. I hope you would be too, if anyone ever tries to compare that. Another thing that's interesting is that even those who were skeptical of Jesus before, uh, skeptics and critics of Jesus, they, they converted to believing that Jesus was Lord. He was God in the flesh. A couple of those in the list mentioned here James. The James is mentioned in this list that Paul gives. James is, he's speaking of Jesus' half brother, James. And James was a doubter. If you read in the book of John earlier, James and his brother Jude, they kind of give Jesus a hard time. They're like, yeah, if you're really God in the flesh here, bro, um, why don't you go show yourself to the people at the festival? Make a big scene. And they were kind of mocking him. Like, sure, you think you're the Messiah, you know? Anyone have a sibling, they think they're the Messiah? That's kind of a, that's a little awkward. But you know what? James ended up testifying that Jesus really was God in the flesh. It turned his life around. Um, Paul was not only a skeptic, Paul was a critic. Paul was killing people who claimed that Jesus was God in the flesh. Paul killed him, and Paul was converted to this very same faith. He shares himself as a witness of interacting with Jesus in a a different way than all the rest of them, but he was still one who had Jesus appeared to him also, he says here. And so um, that's... I think another thing we have going for us and you know the other thing here and we're going to talk about this again more last week these appearances these interactions that people had with Jesus radically changed their lives we're just going to draw out some lessons on the appearances but people were left different after they interacted with Jesus and we're going to talk about that next week and Trevor's going to share some of his story about how his life has changed since receiving Jesus into it as as Lord as God and so um but those are all some encouraging things of the importance of this group of evidence that we have. This, the amount of evidence we have here is kind of overwhelming. If I think if you had to pick one, this is one that I'd go. But, but there's so much evidence, guys, and, and I want you to be encouraged by that. I don't want you to be timid in conversations with people in the workplace or other places where they kind of go like, yeah, you know, they just made that up. We, we've got way more evidence um, for this than people have evidence for what they believe uh, against this, you know, this is a lot more reasonable to believe than what others speculate about Christianity. So anyways, but we're going to shift gears here into looking at three appearances specifically, and we're going to um, just try to leverage some lessons from those here. So uh, we'll read this together here. This is really from John chapter 20, and it's appearances of... Jesus with Mary Magdalene, and Jesus with the disciples, and Jesus with Thomas. And so I think there's some themes of these lessons that go through all three of them that we're going to look at here. But we'll just read this, and uh, keep moving on here. So uh, this is John 20, chapter, chapter 20, verse 10, I believe is where we take off here. Yeah, 10 through 17, but... Then the disciples went back to their homes. This was after they came. They saw the tomb was empty. John looks in and believes. Peter looked in. And they left. But, but after they left, it says this, But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white were seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put them. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? When thinking he was the the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and, and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni! which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to Me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to My brothers and tell them, I'm returning to My Father and your Father, to My God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. She told them that He had said these things to her. So much going on in that there, but... um, uh, I love that, the first part, how it starts off there, you know, but Mary. The other ones went back, they left but Mary. But Mary was, she stayed. She was hanging out. And, um, you know, the first lesson I want to draw out here really comes from this verse here. But um, Jesus, Jesus met her where she was at. Jesus met her in her grieving, in her crying, in her despair, in the graveyard. I don't know about you, but I don't think it would be fun to be hanging out in a graveyard crying. But she was. And Jesus met her right there. He met her where she was at. The tomb, grieving, alone. It reminds me of this proverb. Some of you have heard it before, but I think it applies here. Proverbs 14.10 says, Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. I've often wondered what that meant. But each heart knows its own bitterness. No one else can share its joy. You know, there's things that go on in your heart that as good of a communicator as you can be, you can't even explain to your spouse sometimes how you feel. You can't even explain to a a loved one, a a sibling, a, a friend, a brother, the bitterness you can feel sometimes. Or even the joy is hard to express to another. But I think what he's getting at here is, but God knows. God knows your joy. He knows your bitterness. And he knew what Mary was going through. I was just struck by that passage that said, Mary was at the tomb crying. And then the angel said, why are you crying? And then Jesus said, why are you crying? And I think she was probably sobbing. She was probably maybe hysterical. I don't know, but she was crying. I think she was deeply, deeply grieving the loss of of Jesus, the one she loved. She was also, Mary, if you know, the one that was of told whom is forgiven much, loves much. She was the one Jesus spoke that of. She was forgiven much. And she loved much. And you could tell she was grieving the loss of the one she loved. And Jesus met her there in the grief. And I think of this quote. You know, I don't know what you're going through in your life. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe there's some hard things that you're grieving. I don't know. Maybe they're not that hard. This, this would all apply to No matter how deep of a pit you feel like you could be in. But Corey ten Boom who survived the Holocaust... Um, she said like this, there is no pit where God's love is not deeper still. No matter how grieving you are, how despairing you are, Jesus can meet you there. No matter how deep that pit is, His love is deeper still. And maybe you're not in a deep pit, but maybe you're in a little bit of a pit of sadness or uh, discouragement. You just need to know that Jesus is glad to meet you there. He knows how you feel, just like He did with Mary. And then, You know, he met her where she was at, but he also um, he gave her what she needed to hear, what she needed to know. And out of all the things he could have said to her, he just said one thing that I think met the need. He said her name, Mary, Mary, Mary. Here I am. You're here in this despair, Mary. Here I am. It's the one word that spoke to her intimately, closely. That God cared for her. He wanted to comfort her, and Jesus spoke that to her, and it it snapped her out of her discouragement, and she recognized Rabboni. To her, Jesus as her teacher was a very close relationship. This was not a theological expression of Jesus is Lord, you know, and believe on Him and be saved. This was a an expression of of endearment that she had for Jesus here, and He gave her what she needed. He spoke to her personally, gave her comfort and care. And I don't know, again, maybe you you need that in some form or fashion, but Jesus is the same. Hebrews tells us uh, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And He's glad to meet you wherever you're at and bring words of encouragement, comfort, and care to you. Whatever you may be going through, your spouse might not even know, but He knows. And He would love to meet you there and give you what you need. He went on to say, "This, you know, do not hold on to me, for I've not yet returned to the Father." Um, You know, I think there's debate over what that means. You know, there's some different theological things. "Do not hold on to me." I think if you just take it at face value, I wonder. Her response was, "You know, teacher." And I wonder if she went up to him and gave him a hug. You know, I wonder if he's kind of saying, "Let go." You know, but I don't think he was exactly saying that, "Don't hold on to me." But I think that could be true that she was holding on to him, literally. Um, embracing the one she loved, her teacher, her her master in some ways. Um, but I think probably more spiritually, symbolically, Jesus was saying, "Hey, look, don't don't embrace me here as as the state I'm in now. Remember, I told you I'm going to the Father. I'm going to send you my spirits, and I'm going to be even closer to you then than I am to you right now. Don't hold on to me, because you know our relationship's going to change, and as a matter of fact, it's going to get even closer." like I've told you, you know, and so... But then he goes on, you know, he, he led her to where he wanted her to go. He met her where she was at, gave her what she needed, and he led her to where he wanted her to go. And that was to a place of comfort, to a place of encouragement, to a place of purpose. You know, it's said of her that um, Mary was, some would say she was the apostle to the apostles. Apostle, the word literally means sent or sent one, but she was sent to go tell the sent ones, I've seen the Lord. She had a purpose. Jesus said, hey, all right, I'm get, we're, we're good here. Now go tell your brothers that, you know, I'm going to go to my father and, and your father and my God and your God. And, and so she went. And she, I love there's an exclamation point here. I've seen the Lord. I wonder if Mary was not the personality of someone who does things 100 miles an hour. When she grieved, she grieved a hundred miles an hour she was crying and she was crying, and she was crying and then now she's like, "I've seen the Lord guys, this is awesome and and um, but I think she probably needed something to put her energy into besides mourning and, and she put it into declaring "I've seen the Lord and um, and she had a purpose in that, and she went on to be a part of the disciples taking on the, the purpose of his mission, the mission of Jesus there but Again, some good lessons I think from Mary. Um, let's take a look again. These themes I, I think go into the next appearance in John here, and that's the appearance to the disciples. And it says, um, "Let's see here on this. We'll just read the the whole passage, just a couple verses here. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said." Peace, be with you. After, after He said this, He showed them His hands and side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace, be with you. As the Father has sent Me, I am sending you. And with that He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. We're just going to look at this interaction, this appearance to the disciples Minus Thomas. Um, and again, Jesus met the disciples where they were at. Where were they at? They were locked in a room. They were fearful. They were discouraged. The disciples were. They had banded together for three years of tagging along and following Jesus. And now after he died, they were scattering. Two of them headed back to their hometown, Emmaus. Uh, Thomas was who knows where. These guys were here, but... They locked. They were locked in a room. It said they were fearful of the Jews, and um, and guess what? You know, Jesus. He didn't wait till they got their act together. He didn't wait till they unlocked the door. He didn't wait till they were cheerful and had a good attitude. He met them right in the middle of a locked room, full of fear, full of discouraged followers of Jesus. And you know. And again, uh, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you've got fears in your life. Maybe you've got fears in relationship situations you're facing. Fears related to your work or career. Fears that are in your heart that no one else knows of. But Jesus met them there, right in the middle of that. He was not ashamed of doing that. He was not afraid to do he, he met them right in the middle of where they were. And He wants to do that with you and I still today. goes on to say, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus gave them what they needed, what they needed to hear, what they needed to see. And specifically, he spoke peace into these men whose hearts were full of fear. And he gave them proof that that he really was alive. And, um, you know, I just think about, sometimes it's hard, peace be with you. I don't know if that sounds inspirational to you. I grew up in a real traditional church where they did a part of the service was called Passing the Peace. You guys ever pass the peace? Different than Passing the Peace pipe um, is Passing the Peace. But you just they take a break and you just go around and you shake people's hand. Peace be with you and peace be unto you. And you kind of just back and forth and you, you peace everybody. And it was, uh, it was fun. I think it was good-hearted. I think it was related to this scripture, but it was very innocuous. It didn't really do anything for me. Um, and and when I think of Jesus saying peace be with you and we say peace be unto you Jesus um, it's not very motivational but I wonder a little bit as thinking about it just wondering if it was not more like when Jesus calmed the wind and the waves on the sea and he said be still and everything stopped in its tracks and I wonder if he spoke peace you know the message says peace to you I wonder if he was just saying have my peace and they were like you know, I don't know. They just There's something different about it, something authoritative about Jesus saying, Peace, my peace, to you right now. And I think He spoke and He calmed their hearts and He met them in the middle of their fears. And interesting enough, that Jesus said this about four times to the disciples. I wonder if they had a lot of fear. And I wonder if they needed a lot of peace. And I don't know, if you're anything like me, I can struggle with fear a lot and anxiety a lot. And I think I need Him to be saying... Peace to you, Rich. Be still. Still your heart. It's me. I'm here. And he showed them his hands and his side. And, and they went from being fearful and uh, discouraged to it said they were overjoyed. I mean, what a what a contrast from fearful and discouraged, hiding, to overjoyed and full of peace. You know, there's when you have a real peace in your heart, there's other things can build on that. Confidence. And you can... Do things when you have a peace as a foundation. And He said so many times, Peace to you. Peace to you. And and then He gave them proof that helped them be overjoyed. But again, Jesus is still wanting to bring His peace into your life today. and my life. Maybe there's something on your to-do list. You start thinking about it, and you don't get peace from it again. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's a work thing. But He wants to bring you peace today. He wants to give you the proof that you might need. Maybe you're trying to just square away that He's Lord and Savior. Maybe not. Uh, I think He can give us what we need to have joy. Sometimes I think I just think about a refresher of, of joy. Just a reminder. Lord, remind me that this week I had a thing where I just was kind of going, Lord, I'm feeling a little distant, not fearful, not quite as discouraged as these guys, but I, would, I feel like I could use a reminder that you respond to my prayers. And and so I had this thing, I was walking one morning, and uh, I had been mowing my lawn, you know, back when it was sunny out, and it was, uh, I started mowing, and I had this John Deere thing I put together, and along the way I was mowing, and a bolt fell out, and so then my mower started rattling and making all this noise, and I was like, oh no, I better go park this, uh, went and parked it in the barn, but I realized that a, a bolt had fallen off, and this thing was hanging off, and... Um, I found found the bolt and the nut was missing. And so I went and looked and, you know, no luck. You know, obviously it's only five acres to look and check. But um but I went to where it had happened the next morning and I'm walking. I'm like, Lord, there was a verse that talked about him speaking to Gideon. And there was another verse about today if you hear his voice, you know, and, and it talked about how he's a shepherd to his people. And I was like, Lord, I could use, you know, just a sign from you that you're responding to my prayers, and so I started praying and walking this field where where it had fallen off. Of course, I would have I thought, okay, where it started making the noise, a good chance it fell off there. And I walked and I walked, and I got a lot of good prayer in because I walked and I, you know, I kind of wanted to help God answer my prayer. And I walked and I walked, and finally, I did not find it. And I went back in and I had to get on with my day. And you know, I'm kind of like, Lord, I just wanted a little pick-me-up, you know, just a little reminder. I'm not as discouraged of those guys, but just a reminder, and and he didn't give it to me. Thanks, you know, and I had journaled my verse and journaled, you know, And but then later on the day, I came back, and I started thinking, you know, if that bolt fell off, there's a chance that it fell on top of the mower deck, and I had already looked there, and I pulled grass off, and that's where I found the bolt initially, but I didn't see anything else, but I went back, and I was like, let me check that again, and sure enough, late in the day, I found the nut there, And and I just went back to my journal and was like, Lord, thank you for hearing my prayer, and I needed a little reminder. It brought a little bit of joy to, you know, He he does still hear my prayers. He still is my shepherd. He still does respond. He gives us what we need, whether it's to come to faith in Him or whether it's to have that joy again, but uh, He wants to do that to you and I still today. You know, then He went on to, to lead them where He wanted them to go. You know, He gave them a purpose, And there's a lot in the, the part here where he said, Receive my spirit, and if you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. You know, that can be complicated. People can come up with bad doctrine there. Um, you know, I, I would just understand, this reminds me of back in Genesis 1, where God breathed life into man, and He said He breathed on them, and they came alive. You know, I wonder if this is not where the disciples became officially born again when he said, receive my spirit. We know that they received his spirit and power um, later in Acts here, but I wonder if there was not a, a temporary um, manifestation of his spirit until Pentecost. He goes on to say, if anyone forgives sins, they're forgiven. You know, He was not saying, I think some have taken this to go like, you know what, if, if, you're, the, if you're the top of the food chain of your religion and you tell someone they're forgiven, they're forgiven. If you tell them they're not forgiven, they're not. You forgive sins. He wasn't telling them that. They've been given a message of forgiveness. And I think what he was saying here is, you proclaim this message of forgiveness and to those who believe, you can tell them if you believe, the Lord says you're forgiven. And if you don't believe, well, the Lord says you're still going to be held guilty for your sins. But they had the ability to, if they proclaimed that you, you, know, you received this message, you're forgiven. It wasn't that they were, you know, they didn't come up with a new doctrine. Jesus Himself said, God alone can forgive sins. There are some that have started new doctrines and, and people would forgive your sins if you confess to the right person and things like that. But that's not what he's saying here. He's just saying hey, these guys are going to pronounce a message of forgiveness and where it's received, there will be forgiveness. And where it's not, well, people will be found unforgiven. So, um, but anyways, he gave them a mission and he gave them his spirits and, and he gave them peace and, and joy. And so uh, those are things, if you would need any of those, you might just expect the Lord to meet you. They may even ask Him to. And so, the last one we're going to look at here is just Thomas. Um, you know, Thomas said this, he said, uh, unless I see the nail marks in His hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into His side, I will not believe it. You know, and so, uh, I think sometimes Thomas gets a bad rap. You know, when the women went to the disciples and they said, we've seen Jesus, and they said, you're crazy. Um, so then the disciples go to Thomas and say, "We've seen Jesus," and Thomas says, "You're crazy!" And all of a sudden he's the bad guy when they all did the same thing. Um, but but anyways, Thomas gets a little bit—he's doubting, he's in disbelief. He also gets a little demanding, like, "I'm not going to believe unless you know, uh, unless I see this." And and you know what though? Jesus met him right where he was at, in the middle of his doubts, his discouragement, his unbelief. You know, Jesus didn't. Uh, he didn't criticize him. He didn't uh, not meet him there because I'll meet you anywhere. But doubt. You no, know, he met Thomas right in the middle of this, in his doubts, his discouragement, his unbelief. Even Thomas had an attitude; he's being a little bit demanding, and yet Jesus met him in the middle of that. Um, and again, you know, it says Jesus said, "Put your fingers here, see my hands, and reach out your hand and put it into my side, and stop doubting and believe." And Jesus gave Thomas what he needed to believe. He gave him, you know, his, his hands and his side. And you know what else he gave him to help him believe? He gave him a little bit of correction said, Thomas, stop doubting. It's time to believe. Sometimes I think we are, are taught in the Christian life in this day and age that doubts are good, you know. Coddle your doubts. Everyone needs to have a few pet doubts that they keep around just to be relatable, transparent. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, hey, stop it. Stop it, Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. And he was doubting, and Jesus met him there, but Jesus did not leave him there. Sometimes we think it's okay to be left doubting. If you've got a doubt, I would love to engage with you on, on helping you overcome what something causing your faith to, to be shaky, causing you to have no peace or no confidence. I'd love to talk with you about ways to, to deal with those doubts. If you've got them, I'd love to meet you there. But Jesus didn't leave Thomas there. God doesn't want to leave you in a state of wavering and wondering. He wants you to have confidence because we've got a big mission to carry out. He corrected him. He instructed him to believe, but He gave him what he needed. And then the last part, um, Jesus took Thomas where He wanted him to go. He wanted Thomas to believe. He wanted Thomas to personally receive Him for who He was, Lord. I love this line here. Thomas said to Him, my Lord and my God. Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. And blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, um, I just uh, love Thomas's response. It was very personal. You know, you're not just the Lord. You're not just God. You're my Lord. And you're my God. And I think it's an interesting contrast. I think about the difference between John's response and Thomas' response. John said he believed, and he did not even interact with Jesus personally yet. He said he saw the empty tomb, and he believed. Thomas heard the women said they saw him, the disciples said they saw him. Thomas said, look, I'm not going to buy it until I see and touch him myself. And, And I kind of look at those two attitudes as someone who kind of sees the glass half full. All I need to know, the tomb was empty. Jesus said he's coming back. That's all I needed. And he went on to face death for his faith. John did. But, um, Thomas was like, you know, the glass is half empty. Oh, there's all that, but unless I get what I want. But you know what? Jesus met them both. He met Thomas in that. And I don't know. Maybe you're a type of person who's a, a glass half empty sort of person. Maybe you're a glass half full. I think my wife and I have, we cover both of those between us. I won't say who's which, but uh, um, but I'm the half full guy. Um, but no, just yeah uh, But anyways, uh, the point is Jesus met them both. But you know, Jesus said, hey, Thomas... You believe because you've seen all this, and it's good that you believe. Obviously, that's, that's what the key is there. But, but he said, blessed are those who have not seen and believed. You know, I think John qualifies for that. John didn't see, and yet he had already believed. But he was really talking about you and I. Blessed are those who didn't get to see all of this and still believe. And one of the quotes I love about Thomas, again, Jesus never berated Thomas. He never put him down. Thomas needed to get a little more, uh, a little more tangible evidence. But one of the quotes I love about Thomas, it says this. He says that Thomas doubted so that you and I would not have to. Thomas doubted so that you and I wouldn't have to. If if you would have wanted to touch his hand and his side, guess what? Thomas did to represent what you might need. And if you're more like John and you're like, you know what, it says it here and I'm good to go, well, you got what you needed as well. But Thomas doubted so that you and I don't have to. And he went on to say and. Blessed are those who believe. it. you know, John wraps up this whole chapter again. He says, Jesus did many other miracles in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Jesus wants you to believe that He was God, the Savior, that He's Lord. And He wants you in believing to have life to the fullest. Life, new life, eternal life. And so um, my hope is that you think about some of these things if you do have questions or fears or doubts I'd love to sit down and talk with you I know Dennis would love to talk with you as well and um, just maybe offer some some perspectives some answers some things that have spoken. I, I know I've had a time in my own life where I had some, some doubts and, and fears and it wasn't about you know it wasn't about did Jesus was he this or was, uh, my doubts had to do with myself that I do it right that I pray right was I sincere and I remember sitting down with my pastor and you know he helped me think through and he's like you know really the heart of your faith is it's not whether you did it right but do you believe jesus did it right do you think jesus did everything that was needed for you to get to heaven and i started thinking yeah he did it all he took all my sin he took all it's not about me did i pray right did i do this right when i took my eyes off myself and just realized i believe jesus is my lord and my savior he did it all i It it helped me to go places that I would have never otherwise been able to go. But anyways, let's go ahead and pray. We'll call it a morning here and be on our way. Lord Jesus, we do just thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you appeared so many times to so many people. We thank you that you had that recorded for us. Thank you that you're the same the same God of comfort and compassion, the same God who gives peace and purpose. You're the same God who helps strengthen our faith. As You were then, You are today, and You will be forever. And I pray, Lord, You'd help us to be men and women who are meeting with You, who are overjoyed at our relationship with You, men and women who have a purpose to take this good news that You died and You rose again and You appeared. Help us to take that to to those who still need to know, Lord, those who need your forgiveness, Lord. And we pray for your help in this as a church and and individually. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning, guys. And uh, don't miss next week as we talk about changed lives and, and Trevor shares some of that from his world. So enjoy the rest of your day.